Welcome to the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. It is our desire that you will be greatly encouraged as Pastor Dale Walker and others bring a fresh word from God directly to your heart. Be blessed. Love for you to look in your sermon outline as we are sharing on, on the subject of grateful. In 1995, there was an interesting thing happened. A strike took place in Major League Baseball. And the owners were very resistant to, to give in to the demands of the players. And they got together and decided they were just going to let the season go on. And, and they let just about anybody join the team. Little league coaches suddenly became major league baseball players. I like what Max Lucado wrote about this. He said, the games weren't fancy. The manager said he, one pitcher threw the ball so slow the radar gun couldn't clock it. But oh, did these guys have fun. They arrived in the park early, oiling their glove, cleaning their cleats, thanking the attendants for washing their uniforms. They thanked uh, the caterers. They thanked the fans. Uh, they didn't see themselves as a blessing to baseball, but they saw baseball as a blessing to them. It was magical. It was simple. These were guys who were living a life they didn't deserve, and they were, they were chosen not because they were good, but just because they were willing there was no jockeying for position, no second-guessing the management, no strikes, no walkouts, no lockouts. Uh, they didn't even have their names on the back of their jerseys, but they were thrilled just to get to be on the team. <laughs> and that describes what I want to talk about today, and that is how gra the grace of God creates gratitude. It is, it is by being grateful that grace comes. And when grace comes, you can't help but be grateful. And you get to live a life that you feel you don't deserve. I love this uh, definition, definition of grace. It is having what you didn't earn so you can enjoy a life you never deserved. How many know that's what Jesus gives us? A life we didn't earn so we get to live a life we never deserved. And, and I just want to talk about how how powerful this is. I've called this message extravagant gratitude, not just average gratitude. And we're going to see the story of a lady in Luke 7 who, who to me was the model of extravagant gratitude, who was the first one kind of to understand grace, one of the first ones, and how she, through gratitude and thanksgiving, let that grace become so big in her that it changed everything about her life. And that's what God wants to do for us today. Um, we said in our last few weeks that this series on, on being radically grateful, of course, is always appropriate, but now it is more critical than ever. <laughs> How many know in times of difficulty, when we feel like showing gratitude the least is when we need to show it the most? <laughs> I love this quote by uh, St. John of Avila. He said, one act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable with our inclinations. <laughs> Why? Because it is through gratitude that we are awakened to the goodness of God, even in the middle of the badness of the world. How many know God is still good? And that God is still doing good things when things aren't that good in the world. You know, I went through a moment where I was kind of saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm just done. Could we just fast forward 2020? Just let this be over with. And, and I, I kind of felt like the Holy Spirit said, now just wait a second. What if there are things that I'm doing 
what if I have buried treasures in this fertilizer? <laughs> and, and you miss those things. What, what if, if, if you would just stop and slow down and say, God, what am I missing? How could I be thankful in this? We would see God do great things. I love this verse. If you can see it, Psalm 50, 23 in the message version. I love what it says. Um, I'm ready. Time's up for playing fast and loose with me. I'm ready to pass sentence, and there's no help inside. It's the praising life. Here's what I want you to see. It's the praising life. Say, I'm living in a praising life, right? It's a praising life that honors me. As soon as you set your foot on the way, I'll show you my salvation. <laughs> as you choose the praising life, you move onto a highway of salvation. You start to see God do things. Praise is the highway to the throne of God. It's a highway to miracles of God. Jesus gave one prayer of thanks and multiplied loaves of fishes. It's this core thing that God wants us to maximize what he's doing in the middle of what the world is seeing that evil is doing. There is this simple principle that in our hearts, our hearts automatically maximizes things or, or minimizes things. Kind of like on your computer screen, you know, you can, you can magnify something or you can minimize it. And every, every hour of the day, your heart goes towards focusing on something. How many know you can focus on the good? <laughs> and you can focus on the bad. And what you focus on, you make room for in your heart. In other words, I, I say it this way. What you, what you magnify, you multiply. What you praise, you raise. What you give your thoughts to begins to take over in your attitudes, in your spirit. If you put your heart on the wrong thing, it, it can have devastating effects. It can bring bitterness and division. And how many have seen that kind of as we went through this political season? People were just great friends, and, and all of a sudden, they started talking politics. And they started maximizing what divided them. I mean, they used to just like each other. Oh, it's awesome. Now, I'm never going to talk to that person again. What did they do? They, they maximized what divides us instead of minimizes what divides us and maximize what unites us. And God has called us to be maximizers of his goodness, to make a really big deal of how God's on the move today and how he wants to work in our life. God is asking us, and I shared this last week, to shift, to shift from questions that put our minds on what's wrong. For example, Here's a question people ask all the time. Why do so many bad things happen? Oh, so much bad. What if you ask the question, why do so many good things happen to me? How many know we don't deserve anything? It's with God's mercy. Why do I, did I only get to live to, to whatever, 75? Well, amazing, I got to live to be 75 or whatever it was. What if we magnified not what do I have to do, how many know people who magnify, I got to go to work. I got to do the, how many know they live down our lives? <laughs> what if we maximize what I get to do? I get to make a difference. I get to know God. Paul would say the secret of contentment in Philippians 4 was to see God in everything. I loved what Anna said a few weeks ago. She said, you know, that you can find God in everything or you cannot see God in anything. It's up to you. <laughs> 
But when you find God and you magnify him, his joy starts to get bigger in your heart. It's what you see on the inside that becomes big on the outside. I've told this story before about this fellow who worked at a chamber of commerce and people would come in and say, tell me about this town. Is it a good place to live? And he would always ask the same question. Well, tell me about the town you're moving from. What was it like? And if they would say something like this, oh, man, it was terrible. People were grouchy and there was nothing to do. It was just an awful town. This chamber of commerce guy would say, yeah, this is a pretty lousy town. You won't like it at all. (laughs) But if someone came and said, what was your last town? And they said, man, it was amazing. There's so much to do and people are wonderful and it's just bright and the weather and I love it. And he says, man, you are going to love this town. (laughs) This town is amazing and the people are great. Why? Because joy doesn't come from your circumstance. It doesn't come from how much you have or don't have. It comes from what you see in your heart and what you treasure and what you magnify. I just read an incredible book, highly recommended by by Anne Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts. And she takes this incredible dare. One time, you know, she was going through all the sorrow of life and she she felt like the Lord led her to see life different. What if you saw life as every day having a thousand gifts that God wants you to open? What if, what if those gifts are there, but they're little and you minimize them and you don't even notice them? So she did an experiment. She, she made herself think of 1,000 things that happened in a day that could be thought of as gifts. And she started getting little things, you know, the crackling of the fire, watching her kids sleep peacefully. How many know that's a gift from heaven? Hallelujah. Um, just being able to see warm pot of stew on the, on the stove that grandma was cooking, getting a letter in the, in the mailbox, getting to listen to her favorite song, getting to watch the sunrise. She came up with a thousand. She said, but what happened was she began to see gifts she had never seen before. God had given her friends that she could reach out. All of a sudden, her life began to make a bigger difference. And she said, I I realized that if if I had put a thousand gifts for my kids and they never even opened them, how sad I would be. And yet Father has has said a thousand mercies today before you. Have you opened them yet? Have you looked at this and said, God, you are so, I, I did it last week. I said, look at your watch. Do you see that second? That was a gift from God. That breath. Oh, I didn't deserve that. This begins to allow you to maximize the little in your life that causes you to be overwhelmed. Now, where this is most beneficial and what I want to talk about today is, is through praising God for his grace. Thanksgiving is a supernatural way to take us from the darkness of a minimized life to the, to the blessing of a maximized life for God. And, and this is especially true with grace. Grace is not only God's amazing forgiveness. Grace is God's promised mercy for every struggle and every hardship and every weakness that we're going through. How many know you need grace right now? Like every minute you need some more grace? 
Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I love it in the Passion Translation. You can read it with me. It says, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you. Somebody say overwhelm you. With every form of grace so that you will have more than enough. Can you say more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way? He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. You know what? You know how you're going to get this grace? By being grateful. How many need some grace for your kids? How many need some grace for your job? How many need some grace just to deal with going to Walmart this week? Hallelujah. How many need some more grace? And, and God says, I can just overwhelm you with grace. How? As you begin to be grateful, as you begin to make room for it in your heart. Now, I want us to, to go to a story in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, of a lady who is what I call a grace maximizer. It's actually the story of two people. One's a grace minimizer and the other's a grace maximizer. And I want you to see what her response to the grace of Jesus Christ did for her life and realize God could do the same thing in your life. So let's just read this story. It's a great story in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Those days they, they kind of ate on their elbow like that. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life Never tells us what her name is. How would you like to be known as the sinful woman? But anyhow, that's, that's who she was. And she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came. Now, that really wasn't unusual. The law then said if you were poor, you could go to any party and they had to give you some food. Kind of a cool culture that, that way, huh? So she came in there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, Jesus just thought this was just normal. But Simon was like, Ugh. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. You know, one owed him a million dollars, another owed him 25 bucks. <laughs> Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose. How many know you can hear an attitude in Simon? I suppose. <laughs> That's called a minimizer, right? I suppose. It couldn't be possibly me that's the one who needed forgiveness. <laughs> I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour out oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, though her sins have been many, they're forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
The other guests began to say, who is this one who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <laughs> Do you see how this lady, she goes in salvation. She goes forgiven. She goes in peace. She goes in victory. She goes filled with God. She goes not just getting a blessing. She gets the blesser. She goes with our relation. Why? Because of her gratitude. Here, here is what I want you to see so huge. I, I mentioned again that what grace is is what she saw. She saw that what she was going to receive from Jesus had nothing to do with what she deserved. It's what Jesus earned for her. She was not going to be loved by God because she was good. She was going to be good because she discovered how much she was loved by God. How many understand how powerful grace is? It's the difference between religion and a relationship. In religion, you try to earn God's love. The question is always, am I worthy enough? Am I deserving enough? In grace, Jesus has already earned the love. And he gives you based not on what you've done, but on what he's done. Somebody should get excited about grace. In grace, the idea, in, in religion, you serve God because you're guilty. In, in grace, you serve God because you're grateful. In religion, you have to. In grace, you get to because of this encounter that I am unconditionally loved, not for anything I've done. I get to receive the, the goodness of God because of what Jesus has done. I love the little story I heard this, this little boy, Johnny, when he was seven, his dad took him and three friends to the amusement park and bought him a bunch of tickets, and he had the tickets, and they'd ride the ride. And all of a sudden, they got to the biggest ride, and this fourth kid named Kevin got in line. And the dad said, why, why are you in line? Who are you? And, and Kevin had met Johnny on the other ride, and he, he just said, I'm Johnny's new best friend. Can I have a ticket? And the father said, okay. How many know when you accept Jesus, you are Jesus' new best friend, and you get whatever he has? And you get it not because you deserved it. You get it because he loves you. Can, can I just tell you again? God wants to reveal to you how much he loves you. He is in love with you. He delights in you. Isaiah 30, 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He will rise up and show you compassion. When you come to Father, there's no waiting in line. There's no filling out the form. There is no wondering if he'll come to you. He's running after you before you come to him. You can't even open the door to him until he throws his arms around you with kisses. I love this again from Ex Lucado. He says, there has never been anyone who is for you the way God is for you. If he has a calendar, your birthday is circled. If he drove a car, your name is on his bumper. If he has a wallet, your picture is in it. If there are trees in heaven, he's already carved your name on his tree. Face it, God is crazy about you. And when you begin to see this, it changes you. It heals you. You see, Simon, the minimizer, he says, he's jealous. He's saying, why 
Jesus, why are you letting this woman do this? Why are you paying attention to what she's doing? You see, in a religious mindset, everyone has a scorecard. And everything is about keeping score. And so from his point of view, that woman is a zero. And yet you're letting her become that close to you. Look at me, I'm an eight. I go to church, I do this. And he says, Simon, you don't understand. No one is close to me because of their righteousness, only because they receive mine. You know what's so interesting about the book of Luke? Is Jesus goes out of his way over and over to show us who the people who have the deepest intimacy with Jesus are. And what's so crazy, it's never the ones who if you were keeping score, you would give them a score above a three, right? Have you ever noticed the heroes of the book of Luke? It's the prodigal son. It's the publican who says, won't even look up to heaven. It's, it's a Zacchaeus, the short guy who ripped everybody off who became Jesus' best friend. <laughs> it's, it's this sinful woman why? Because God likes us to be sinful? No. <laughs> because they're the only ones who understood what I am going to receive from God is not because of what I deserve, but because of his unconditional mercy and love. And I am going to be blessed, not because I am good, but so that I can become good. Now, the key thing is, why does she receive it and Simon doesn't? And here's the point I want to make to you today. It's not, it's not God's goodness that determines how blessed your life it is. It's your response to God's goodness. <laughs> I mean, you know, God is good to you. He has so much mercy. But it's not if God is good, it's how are you responding how do you receive it? So many people forfeit the goodness of God and the grace of God because they don't receive it. They don't, as we'll learn, humble themselves. You know what? What this has just stood out to me so big is that all of these promises are, are ours. Ephesians 1:3 says, You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. <laughs> But how many know some Christians that aren't acting very blessed right now? <laughs> and you would almost say they forfeited the grace of God. They, they, they haven't appropriate. They haven't. It's there. But they're like Simon sitting over there. Well, I'm being pretty good. I'm trying to make it. And yet God is saying, I want to pour out on you a revelation of my mercy. I want to fill your heart with a new awareness of a father who is in love with you. I want to bring you the kiss of grace and it will so wreck your life. You will live every day a life which says, I don't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to do this because of his mercy. So let me just give you three things today that will help you respond to God's grace in a way that it fully changes your life. 
How does, how does God's grace transform us? Number one, by humbling ourselves. By going from a I deserve this or you owe me attitude to I owe you everything, God, attitude. And I want, I want you to see this, this key. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. I think this is a, is a key verse here. 1 Peter 5, uh, 5 and 6. And, uh, and I love, again, this, uh, the Passion Translation. In the same way, the younger ones should willingly support the leadership of the elders. In every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant. Because God resists you when you are proud. Can we read that again? God resists you when you are proud, but multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. If you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Do you see this? This is so incredible. The lower we go in our own opinion of ourselves and our own righteousness, the higher we go in the realization of God's righteousness for us. The more we are humbled by how much we don't deserve, the more we are able to receive the gift that is undeserved. The more we are humbled by how weak we are. Have you ever noticed this verse? Isn't it a crazy verse? When I am weak, then I am what? Now that doesn't make sense. <laughs> when I know I can do nothing. That's when I can do everything, you know. <laughs> when I know that I don't have faith, then I live by the faith of the Son of God. <laughs> when I know that I don't know what I need to know, then I know what I have to know to know something, you know. When I'm at the point of I can't make it, I'm going to drown at that moment, I'm about to be lifted higher than I could ever get by my own strength. If I can lean in to my need, I will find God's supply. You know, one of the things that, that I've learned, have you ever been a, accused by the enemy? He's just sort of hammering your mind. You're so unworthy. You're such a failure. You're such a disappointment. You know, one of the things I, I loved, I learned is, is, is Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, agree with your accuser when you're on the way to court. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And what I began to realize is what the enemy can accuse, the only thing the enemy can accuse is your works, not God's grace. So when the enemy accuses you, you failed, yeah, and you messed up, yeah. And you only half-hearted, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then end it. I like to say it this way. When the enemy accuses you, be your own prosecuting attorney. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, that's right, and that's right. But then end with your final argument. But I am saved by grace, not by works. I am the righteousness of God. But Jesus died for me. Jesus is standing on my behalf. Jesus has accepted me. Jesus has redeemed me. Jesus says I'm his beloved. Jesus says there's no condemnation. Jesus said I'm just as if I had never sinned. Jesus says I am his beloved in whom he's well pleased. Case is closed. <laughs> now that's what does it. 
I loved uh, this one Christian writer. I loved what she said. You know how you get all these anonymous emails. People love to criticize and slam you and hate you. And, and I love her response to one of them. She wrote, no matter how poorly you think of me and how undeserving or unworthy you think I am of honor, the truth is I am actually far more undeserving than you will ever know. But the one who knows all about my faults has taken my sins. He loves me the most. He says in his eyes, I am perfect. Amen. <laughs> so whatever you think of me, I'm worse than that. But in God's eyes, I'm justified. I'm forgiven. See, the more we are aware of our need, the more we are supplied by his grace. And so when we come before God, we come, again, not with our strength. We come saying, Lord, today, I know how desperate I am for you. God, except you move. If you don't give me the next prayer, I will do this on my own. Oh, God, how I need you. You see, the grace of God is revealed like this. Even the desire to desire God is the gift that God gives me of desire. <laughs> Even the thought that you wanted to be with God today was a thought you couldn't have, but he gave you. Even your, your slightest hunger for the presence of God is not your hunger. It's the grace of a God who gives you hunger so he can fill you. Strength is not how faithful you are. Strength is knowing that even when you are faithless, God is still faithful. <laughs> knowing that he never gives up on you. And when you are ready to throw in the towel and you are ready to can cancel your hope, he says, I am enough. My grace is efficient. I will never leave you. I will never fail you. I'm with you always. It's in that humility, grace gets bigger. The lower we go, the higher grace goes in our lives. Secondly, refuse the minimizers of the enemy to steal from you the capacity to receive the goodness of God. How many know that the enemy is always trying to maximize the bad stuff he's doing? and minimize in your mind the good stuff God has for you. He is the joy thief. He is the joy sucker, you know. I don't know why I always think of this because when I was in Zambia visiting one time, I got these tsetse flies and, and they go inside of your skin and they, they suck your blood and they live off your blood and have a bunch of eggs. It's gross as can be. And I said, devil, that's exactly what you try. You try to send joy suckers into my life. <laughs> You, you know, how many know the devil always has a negative for every positive? He's always trying to bring your attention by getting you to compare yourself with others, by reminding you of your failure, by showing you how hard things are instead of how good God is. He always has a cloud for every silver line, right? And he's always trying to draw and magnify this darkness to you. I don't know why I thought of this story uh, Wayne Myers is a hero of mine. He always tells these really corny jokes. So 
uh, but I, I remember them, so they must work. So he, uh, he was talking about these uh, two duck hunters that were kind of out on a lake in, a, in their boat, and they were hunting for duck. And, and this guy was a Christian. He says, he says, hey, hey, bro, wait till you see my new bird dog. This bird dog is amazing. And so he shoots a duck. The dog jumps over the edge of the boat and walks on the water picks up the duck, brings it back to the boat. And he says, hey, what did you think of that? And his friend says, stupid dog, he can't even swim, you know. <laughs> How many know somebody can always see a negative even when God is doing the miraculous? Someone can always cancel a mercy that's right before them because they give in to something like envy they give in to a critical spirit. They give in to self-doubt, condemnation. It is always a warfare. And in my book, Plenty Too Much, I wrote the chapter called Honey, I Shrunk the Lord, you know. <laughs> Something to shrink our knowledge of how good God is, how faithful he can be in our life today. And God says, I want you to take authority over that. I want you to say, I will believe to see the goodness of the Lord. I want you to say, I take authority over what I have come to accept as a self-pity trip. I will not feel sorry because I am blessed and my blessing is on my way. I will not yield to the spirit of heaviness in this world, but I will rise to magnify the Lord because he is so good. His goodness outweighs the badness around me. And that brings me to the last one. Choose to respond to God with extravagant expressions of gratitude. Can I tell you this? To really overcome a spirit of this world, you can't just have normal gratitude. That's why I keep preaching this. I call her gratitude a break the mold kind of gratitude. She had to smash that perfume, right? How many know some of the models of gratitude you've lived in are not going to get you to victory. Being just sort of passively thankful in times like this, you need to be hilariously grateful. Remember last week, David danced before the Lord. You need to be a crazy, crazy grateful guy, you know. An overwhelming, heartfelt articulator of goodness you need to let your light shine. You need to take every, every lampstand off. You need to broadcast your heart of gratitude in a thousand ways. How can you do that? There's so many ways. You know, one, one thing, as I said, make a big deal of small gifts. Just make a big deal, like Ann Vaskoff said, God, I just got to breathe. I just unwrapped this package. We got to eat a meal today. Wow. I just got to hold the hand, my wife's hand. We just got to see another day. I just got to wake up this morning. It just, just, God, I will make a big deal out of the smallest blessings because they could be seeds that will create the greatest trees. God, I will awaken my soul to the thousand gifts that this day brings on purpose. 
and by faith. I believe it includes articulating with heartfelt appreciation in as many ways as you can that God is good. Whether that's outward expressions of of worship, holding up your hands, spinning around, whatever it is. Whether it's just writing your gratitude list, declaring grace. I love this, uh, this Bible study I heard about. I loved what they did. They played this little game, and, and the, the pre- preacher started off with these words. If all you ever did for me, God, was blank, I would still not deserve it. But that's not all you did. You also, so they would start off and say, God, if all you did for me was die on the cross for me, that is more than I ever deserved. But you didn't just die on the cross for me. You wrote my name in heaven. And then the next guy says, if all you ever did for me, God, was write my name in heaven, I should never have deserved that. But that's not all you did. You also gave me the Holy Spirit. And the next one, if all you ever did for me was give me the Holy Spirit, I don't deserve that. I'm the most blessed person. But you didn't just give me the Holy Spirit. You gave me the Word of God. And if you articulate it in that way, suddenly there's breakthroughs that begin to grow and come into all areas of your life. You do this by showing appreciation to people who've made a difference in your life. And I hope you'll find this. We are giving away hundreds of these I'm grateful cards because you made a difference in my life. How many know some, if if it wasn't for somebody, you didn't get where you got to if there wasn't a whole bunch of people helping you? How many times do you just write a gratitude card? You just say, you made a difference in my life. Or you just tell them or you just call them. When was the last time you thought, man, I remember my eighth grade teacher. (laughs) Thank you. You made a difference in my life. See, what you sow in others grows in you. And that's my last point. Extravagant gratitude is rooted in generosity. There's something amazing about three words. They always go together in the Bible. Grace, gratitude, and generosity. When God shows you your great, his grace, you become grateful. And when you become grateful, you've got to give something. And when you give, the grace becomes bigger inside of you so that you become more grateful. And when you become more grateful, there's more grace. And when there's more grace, you become more generous. And then how many have ever realized that the way you love people is directly related to how grateful you are. Ungrateful people never go deep in love. But every time I see, he said, those who are forgiven much, love much. If, if you have an issue in your marriage, become more grateful. Guess what? You'll love more. If you have an issue at work, become more grateful. <laughs> because you can't become more grateful without becoming more generous. It's the law of gratitude. Well, how do we do it? Look at this woman. I just describe her as the extravagant, you know, the extravagant gratitude. She gets her most expensive perfume. She pours it out. She she parades her love. She she's just so 
willing to empty what she has to Jesus. You know, there's a couple different stories. The one in, in Mark 14, maybe it's a different uh, sinful woman, but it says that her perfume was worth a year's wages. Can you imagine? Just saying, I'm going to worship today. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give my whole salary for a year <laughs> just because I got to make it big. I love you, God. Boom. That's what she was doing. She was just saying, how am I going to say thanks? Oh, I'm going to do it by being generous. And you say, well, he was there physically. Yeah, but Jesus said, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Did you know when you forgive someone who doesn't deserve, that's a way of saying thank you to Jesus? When you're kind to someone who's rude to you, you're not saying anything about them. You're saying, thank you, Jesus, because you were kind to me when I was rude to you. When you serve somebody, you're saying, thank you, Jesus. This is the only way I can wash your feet right now is to wash the feet of another human being. This is the only way I can fall on my face to lift you up maybe is to get under a car and fix somebody's flat tire. <laughs> but anything you do out of generosity in the name of Jesus, because of Jesus, is how you say thank you to God. And when you do that more, it creates more grace, more gratitude, and more generosity. The reason we want to do this, we do this year in Thanksgiving offering. We say one time a year, give something above your tithe. Make a sacrificial offering for people who are most desperate. And as I said, this week we, we're giving out food. We're helping hurricane victims in Honduras. Um, we're we're going to be helping the refugees more, build a place for them and, and what is. We're going to be sending missionaries to countries that are closed right now to the gospel. We are going to give over 70000 by faith this year to missionaries to help them. And we're, we're going to just pour out. Why? Because God has been so good to us. And we can't just say, thank you, God. We have to say, thank here it is. I pour it out. I'm going to be a ridiculous giver because that's how thankful I am. And then you look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Here's what happens, how the cycle goes. It says, when you do this, you will be abundantly enriched. Somebody say enriched. <laughs> In every way, as you give generously on every occasion, for when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. Isn't that an awesome? You multiply. There's going to be tens of thousands of people around the world getting saved and saying, thank you, Jesus, kids, and whatever. Whatever we do, it never stops when it's done in the name of the Lord. And so today, my challenge is be grateful Articulate it. Humbly receive it. Shut down the minimizers of your mind. And take the grace of God and make it practical. I love this story. Howard Hendricks is one of the great leaders of our last generation. And, and he tells a story. He says, when I was in sixth grade, I came from a broken home. Never heard about Jesus. Nobody cared about me. But there was this man named Will who had come to Christ and 
He's so in love with God. He said, God, what could I do to thank you? And God said, why don't you go and start a Sunday school class for the street kids or the kids that lived in the inner city of Philadelphia. This fellow, Howard, was one of them. Will only had a sixth grade education. He, he didn't know the Bible very well. But he did things like play marbles with them. And he took them little snacks. They became like little, you know, the Pied Piper bunch that followed Will wherever he went. He poured his life into them. What is so interesting, out of that little two-year season, 10 of those kids ended up becoming pastors or missionaries, including Howard. By the time Will died, there were churches all around the world, untold thousands, from the ministries of these people, that he loved, thanking and praising God because one man saved by grace decided, I will not just make my gratitude spiritual, I will make it practical. Would you bow your heads? In fact, I'm gonna invite those here at church. Let's just stand and worship the Lord. But if someone here today needs the grace or someone online today, you know you need God's forgiveness and you need, you need God's grace. And you heard the gospel. Jesus died for you. He loves you, not because you're good, but because he's good. And you can receive his eternal life. Some of you, you could get baptized in two weeks. You could come to our baptism class. You could say, thank you, God. I receive your grace, and your life could be forever. You could be like that woman who just said, I needed forgiveness. And Jesus gave it to me. So just, I'm just pray this prayer. Maybe some of you right where you are would pray it with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve your love. And yet you died for me. And you forgave me. And I am so thankful. Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. Thank you for writing my name in heaven. Thank you for giving me eternal life. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that God's Word has inspired you today in a way that will boost your faith greatly. We want to encourage you to visit our website at hftw.church and follow us on our social media. May God bless you richly.